I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, supported by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes. Every mum has a story. And this week's guest, Sarah Kelly's, is about love and it's about baby loss. And so this episode kindly comes with a trigger warning. This conversation is beautiful and powerful. And it's been created especially to support Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Week. Along with supporting every mum the podcast, Waterwipes are proud to support Phalacon, the Stillbirth and Neonatal Death Association of Ireland, which works to support families affected by perinatal loss, including this week's guest, Sarah Kelly, a speech and language therapist and creator of Speakeasy SLT. Last night, 7pm on October 15th, the day that marks pregnancy and infant loss awareness, there was a wave of light where candles and monuments, landmarks and buildings all lit in blue and pink to remember the babies around the world that we have sadly lost, but we will never forget. Babies like Josh, Sarah's little boy, born at 31 weeks with his twin brother Ollie. Here, Sarah shares her experience of growing, protecting and giving birth to her two boys, only to lose one the day they were born. She speaks so honestly about the duality of grief and love, and most importantly of all, she asks us to always remember the babies that are lost, because they are loved forever. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on Everyone in the Podcast for a very, very special episode, of course, to mark Baby Loss Awareness Week. And the wave of light, which is October 15th, which was yesterday, this episode goes out on Saturday, um, to tell us a very special story about your little boy. Thank you so much uh, for having me, uh, Sinead. It's, uh, it's a real honour. And um, I hope that maybe by sharing my story, it gives lots of other moms and dads um, a chance to be heard because my story is not unfamiliar to many people um yeah <laughs> we covered this topic two years ago with sarah tobin with an episode of healing after loss and the journey that she has taken to try and heal um after the loss of her daughter and then of course we have numerous episodes which covered the you know the intensity and the pain that goes with miscarriage i don't know how your heart could have gone through what you did because you gave birth to two boys that day. Mm. Yeah, and I think that made the journey and the grief very difficult because in one way I was planning a funeral and in the other side I was going down a journey of NICU, which was equally terrifying, you know, because the boys were born at 31 plus one. So they were born nine weeks early. So. I was forced into two avenues and I think that's also in ways made my grief harder because I had to pull myself together for Ollie because he was fighting in NICU and I had to fight for him. Um, so yeah, it's just been a tough journey. <laughs> How soon after you found out that you had twins did you or did the doctors start identifying that there might be an issue? So we had an early scan because like most, as soon as you get that positive pregnancy test, it seems unachievable to wait till 12 weeks for a first scan. <laughs> <Completely>. <laughs> yeah. 
Completely. So we, we went for a private scan and I think it might have been six or seven weeks and we went in and I remember it so vividly because there was a bed for me to lie down on and a double leather couch for Barra with a flat screen TV. And Barra didn't sit down, but he had his phone out and he was over at the flat screen TV to take a video. And the sonographer said, could you just take a seat for a minute, Dad? And I was like, oh gosh, what is it? And they said, look, there's a heartbeat. And she said, can you see what's there? There's a second heartbeat. And I just remember going into complete and utter, utter shock and I shook uncontrollably. And Barra was like, what's wrong? And You know, it's okay. And I just remember the flash in my mind was, twins are a high risk pregnancy. Mm. And of course, in the job that I'm in as a speech and language therapist, I often see twins because they're born prematurely and things like that. But at that point, they discovered that both the babies were measuring the same, but Josh's sack was smaller than Ollie's. So they immediately referred me into Hollis Street. And I was being monitored very closely every fortnight. And then I remember 15 weeks having a scan and they were there was something they weren't happy about and I was told to go home and not Google, which was what, you know, that worried me. Um, and my waters ruptured around Josh at 17 weeks, which is like so early. And I think the statistic at the time was 85% of people will go into labor or they will get an infection. Um, because the waters have ruptured. If I went into labor, obviously the babies were in viable until 24 weeks. And if I got an infection, they would have induced the labor because of the risk to my own health. Um, so they signed me off work at 17 weeks and put me on bed rest. Um, and I used to visit Hollis Street twice a week for the first seven weeks, I think it was. Um, and obviously I had a toddler at home as well. So it was pretty difficult. Um, and I got admitted at 22 weeks. I went in for a scan for reduced movement, thinking I was going to go in and come home again. And then they admitted me because I had a temperature and they were worried about an infection. And I stayed for five nights. I begged them to let me home. I always knew that it was a chance I'd get admitted 24 weeks. And they let me home on the Friday. And I just remember being so happy to be home in my own bed. And then on the Sunday night, I had a bleed. And I just remember sitting on the toilet and I cried to Barra. And I was like, please don't make me go back. I can't do it. Um, and then I was like, oh gosh, you have to go back in for the babies. And I remember walking in and I was just 24 weeks. And I remember walking down the corridor in the labor ward, being like, what am I going to do if I go into labor? These babies are 24 weeks. They're never going to make it. And oh, but that wasn't to be. And I spent seven weeks as an inpatient in Hollis Street. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a long time. So 24 weeks plus seven took you up to 31 weeks. 31 weeks. Yeah. So I spent seven weeks in there. So that was tough but I suppose every week that passed I just remember being like this is going to be okay I'm my my consultant was brilliant um Dr Carol and he specialized in twin pregnancies and he just said to me we don't know if Josh's lungs will develop and we won't know until you give birth because the steroids are for lung um growth not for lung development so there's no way of us testing and mm. um, so you were always 
you know, battling this in your head. Is he going to be okay? Is he not going to be okay? His fluid is really low. Now your, your waters replenish every 24 hours. So every week I'd have a scan to measure the fluid and have a look at it. And it was always staying in around the same measurement. So we were always reassured by that. He never had no fluid. And I think as well, the midwives were like, oh no, you know, they'd never actually seen anyone get that far with ruptured waters as well. It was quite unusual. So that gave me hope. And I was kind of convinced I was going to get to 34 weeks because my consultant said he wouldn't let me get past it. Mm. And I just remember when I reached 28 weeks, that was such a big milestone. He pulled back my curtain and he was like, 28 weeks. I'll take these babies whenever they want to come. Mm. They're going to be fine. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just knew that last week at 30 weeks, things were getting too difficult. I had horrendous pelvic pain. I'm quite small, like I'm only five foot two. And... I was carrying two babies so it was getting really tough and I just knew I used to walk the corridor at night because of the pelvic pain and I bumped into the midwife she's like you're still up walking and I was like oh, I know the pain's bad and she's like let's get you more heat and you know paracetamol and things like that and then I said the pain's not going and she's like I, if you want more pain relief we're gonna have to do like a scan and um she said scan and around 2am they discovered I was in labour mm. I was 31 and one weeks and it was the bank holiday Sunday. It was Paddy's night and I didn't believe them. Um, and I remember saying to Janet, my midwife that night, please don't make me go. Cause I was having a plan C-section cause they're a breach. I just remember begging her, please don't send me to theater. Please don't send me to theater. I'm not in labor. And they found my consultant and they agreed to prep me for theater in my room so I was sharing with three other ladies so they were listening to all this and I just begged her and my consultant came in and examined me and he said you're well in labor we have to deliver these babies um so I remember Janet my midwife uh, she wheeled me down to theater and I remember looking down the floor and there was a white line of tape mm. she just said to me I can't take you any further and she gave me the biggest hug and she was like you can do it you can do it and then I got in there and I was in the bed and they were doing the epidural. And I remember just getting like worried because I was like, it's a bank holiday. I was like, have you enough staff? Have you got enough team? Because I knew they needed a team for me, a team for Josh and a team for Ollie. And they said, don't worry, we'll have all the staff that we need. Um, so Josh was born first um, and he came out and let out this big cry. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, <laughs> you know, his lungs must be okay. Ollie was born and he took ages to cry but there was all this chaos you know there was staff everywhere and obviously 31 weeks they were Ollie was uh, three pounds ten and Josh was two pounds twelve um, and they were born tiny babies tiny tiny babies they were born at six six in the morning and they brought over, I didn't get to see Ollie again. They gave, brought me over Josh and gave me, let me give him a kiss. And I've actually got some photographs of that, which is really lovely. And they just said the next few hours will be critical. Um, so after recovery, Neve, my midwife, took me back to the Marion Ring. And she said to me, um, you probably won't see the babies until tonight or tomorrow morning. And I said, okay. And... Um, I'd say like within minutes, they were giving me double pain relief and two, two nurses were lifting me into a wheelchair and I was still in my hospital gown. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're going to take you down to see your babies. Mm -hmm. And 
at that point I knew I knew that their system was up and I remember Colin O'Donnell came over to me and he just said you know Josh is working really really hard mm. and I just said to him I just don't want to be in any pain um, and they said to me we have one more thing we can try um, because his lungs have collapsed um, and then I remember they brought in like a partition and they put a partition around us and um, at that point I knew that he wasn't going to make it um, and we had two gorgeous midwives, Mairead and Petra, and they stayed with us and um, they said that we could take the boys out together and I just said, please don't take Ollie out because if maybe if you move him, he'll die too. And um, they gave us time, they baptised Josh and they brought in gorgeous blankets and knitted hats and all these gorgeous things that are provided by Felicon and the charities. And um, then they gave him to Barra and he just took his last breath, just like really peacefully. It's okay, take a minute. to have them both and then to lose one in that moment when you're there meeting them. It's just, yeah. I, this, is, this is what I was saying at the beginning of this episode, like how did it not split you in two? It did and I, and I actually don't really know how we did it and what we did. Like it's such a blur in so many ways. Um, I'm really grateful because the, um, there was another doctor and I can't think of her name right now, but they just took my phone and started taking photographs um, and they were live photographs. Mm. So when I held down the screen, I have those moments. Um, but honestly, I was so heavily medicated um, because of the surgery. And obviously usually after surgery, you would stay lying for so, so long. And I do think you know, that that maybe helped me because I don't really know. But then, you know, we didn't get a huge amount of time there and then because they needed to get me back to the ward as well, I think. Um, and when they took me back to the ward, Neve, my midwife, was just incredible. I remember she came in and she put down the blinds, she put a do not disturb sign on the door and she put like this salt lamp on for us. And she brought in a mattress on the floor for Barra. I was like, just sleep just put your head down and sleep and I remember lying there and I just could not process mm -hmm. what had just happened and I don't know I think I had psyched myself up to believe that it was going to be okay because I had carried the two of them for so long against all the odds and because I had twins they used to do the um they used to listen to their heartbeats but they couldn't use the doppler the little so they had to do a trace and they did that every four hours so they used to wake me through the night and everything like that so 
I listened to their heartbeats all the time. And Josh was always so much more active than, jo- than Ollie and so much easier to find. I used to be like, is this a sign? You know, and I was just, I was hanging on to things and, you know, people would always message me and say, you know, it's going to be fine. But it's interesting in that last week, I just really went into myself. So I stopped it like letting people come in and visit me and I stopped really replying to messages and um, I'm always on my phone and I always respond to people and I remember having to send that first message and I remember typing it and I just couldn't even process it as I wrote it you know that kind of way it was like is this really happening and I felt really different found it really difficult to navigate because the door knocked constantly for you know the bereavement team a psychologist a social worker planning a funeral um making a decision what to do with josh did we want to bury him did we want to cremate him and also going down to see ollie you know expressing milk for him recovering from surgery and it knocked me because I'd been on bed rest for 14 weeks. I was like, I was floored. Like, it was just, yeah, it was a physical and emotional trauma for me. Tell me about how you could see through the grief in order to bond with Ollie. Yeah, that was definitely what got me through on some of those really difficult days. Um, But then I felt guilty because it was like spending time with Ollie or spending time with Josh. And it actually took me more than a day to go and see Josh after he died. And I do feel really guilty about that at times. You know, my mom had gone to see him. Barra had gone to see him. And they asked me if they wanted to bring him up and I just couldn't do it. And I remember Anthony from Phalacon came in to visit me and um, and I don't know why, I just, I was scared of what he would look like, um, you know, all these things. And then I remember when I went to see him for the first time after we died and I remember I just cried and cried and cried. And I was like, I'm so sorry I've left you, you know? So. I think that's another thing you're constantly guilty because you know guilty that spending more time with him spending time with ollie surviving for ollie and also you know i also felt this guilt of not carrying the pregnancy for longer and i don't know it was just it was just my head was swimming in all these thoughts, it was really difficult. Um, and I remember even a nurse said to me the day of Josh's funeral, she was like, you know, take the day for you and Josh, you know, don't worry about Ollie. And after his service, Barra and I went for lunch and I remember just sitting there and I was like, all I want to do is be with Ollie. You know, it just feels unnatural for me not to be with him, you know. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't allowed to hold Ollie for so long. And when I did get to hold him, I was only allowed to hold him for once in a 24 hour period. So it was just unimaginable. And even when I went home after I was discharged, um, 
I just remember leaving Hollis Street Hospital and all I had was a sheet of yellow labels and those bottles with the purple lid for expressing milk. And I was like, I've spent eight weeks on Hollis Street and not, this is all I've left with is like a box of memories of Josh and labels and bottles for Ollie. And I remember one night just crying and Barrett's like, you know, Ollie's in good hands and we'll get through this. And I was like, Ollie should be here, you know? It just, there was nothing normal about any part of the journey. You know, Nikki's traumatic and then grieving is traumatic, you know, and planning for all of that. And you need the security of Ollie being well. I can totally understand that about wanting so desperately to to start that phase of feeling like you have a newborn mm. in your arms at home like this the safety and security after everything that has happened to just have a tiny moment of normality for what your body has just gone through mm. just taking him home yeah in ways I think as well I went into this autopilot of I've got a job to do you know I've got to express my milk and I've got to go to the NICU every single day and be with him um and spend as much time as him with him as I could in there but then also I had Finn at home you know I had another baby to to care for you know Finn turned three two weeks after the twins were born so he was missing me. You know, I was gone for three full months, really, yeah. which is a lot for to explain to a little tot. <laughs> There's guilt in that already. Absolutely. How did you feel when you were able to take Ollie home? Yeah. I... It was absolutely amazing because he did so well, but there was this fear of, will I lose him too? You know, that kind of way. Nine weeks premature was so scary for me. Um, but at the same time, we were just so lucky that we got to take him home. And, you know, he, he did really well. He did really, really well against, you know, all that had happened. Um, it was amazing and it just to be you know there was their moments of you know us being a family again and then you'd wake up in the middle of the night and you'd be like I should have two babies you know mm. one of the things that was really great was I didn't plan the nursery so because I had those complications from early on and my waters ruptured around Josh at 17 weeks, we didn't do anything. So we were planning, Finn was in the nursery, we were planning to move him into the, sorry, we were planning to keep him there, we were planning to make the big room the twins room and we'd measured it out to see that the cots fit and everything like that. And we'd ordered a double buggy um, and we were just like, we ordered it from Bella Baby and they were just so nice when my mum rang them up and said, we won't need a double buggy. Um, and then because we hadn't done anything with the twins room, we actually made a big deal of Finn going into the big room yeah. and we kept Ollie in the nursery. And for me, that was kind of nice because I used to walk into that room and imagine myself with the twins. And it was nice then that 
it wasn't anything to do with the twins going in there. It was going to be Finn's new bedroom. I think the first year was a blur, if I'm honest. Like, it's even hard for me to think back and remember it. And, you know, Ollie had several hospital admissions in that year as well. Um, and actually, I remember before I was discharged from hospital, um, and when I went back in for my checkup, they asked me about seeing the psychiatric team. And I just said, no, I didn't need to at that time. And I remember one day I was driving the car and I just remember feeling a little bit out of control. And it's so weird because the following week I got a call from Hollis Street to say, you know, would I like to come in and see one of the psychiatrists in, the, in Hollis Street? Um, and I did. And, um, you know, I always thought that I was pretty strong. And I, uh, you know, there's been a lot of kind of bereavement and kind of sadness in our family. And it's one of those things where sometimes you don't have any choice but to get on. But it was in that moment where I was like, I'm not coping. Um, and I, I, you know, I saw that psychiatrist for quite a while. And it took me a while to come around to it. But I did, um, she did prescribe me medication. And I just took it. I was like, you know, this is something that you can't really navigate by yourself. And, you know, I knew that talking therapy had a place for me. I had, I'd only, my dad had only passed away um, eight months before the twins were born. And, um, but I just wasn't in that space to do that. Um, so yeah, that helped me. And then, Last year in lockdown, I started doing talking therapy and counselling via Zoom. Um, and that really helped me because she was like, you are, you're burying everything. You know, it's okay to feel sad and cry. And you don't always have to put your brave face on, you know, for, for you or for other people. And I think that's one of the things, you know, you don't want to set, upset other people. And I, you know, I'm always saying I, I want to talk about Josh. But at the end of the day, I don't want to upset other people either, you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I have an amazing support network around me too. And, and you know, people do really rally around you. And um, that's what you need, you know. As they say, it takes a village and it really does. But recognising that okay, you're at a point where you need help, but you don't want to talk. Mm. And then recognizing, okay, I'm at a point where I need help and I'm ready to talk. Mm-hmm. They're really important things, I think, to, to, for us to know that that can happen because sometimes when you hear the phrases, oh, you know, ask for help or get support, like, what does that mean? You know, what, what does that mean? Where do I go? What do I do? And to know that it's okay to say, hi, I need support, but I still don't have the words to talk. Yeah, it's really hard. And one of the things that I find difficult and I still find really difficult is when people say, how many children have you got? Yeah. And you're like, but I've got three boys, but how do you strike up that conversation? And... I know one of the midwives did say to me before I left, she was like, everyone will have a story, you know? So you have to decide on that moment or in that moment, if you want to share or not. And she was like, that doesn't mean you love Josh any less or 
anything like that but she was like someone's always going to come back with something and uh, you know with a story that they know whether it's them a friend and are you in a position that you're able to take that on you know because sometimes you end up being the one supporting back but it is still one I find really difficult and I know Bara, my husband does too um and he would open up to certain people and I think it is I don't know is it an Irish thing that we do we do that because we want to protect the other person ultimately mm. and inside I'm like dying to come out and say but there's Josh too you know and it is so important and I am you know I, I feel quite strongly about you know talking about him as much as I can and I feel really lucky that I have you know my Instagram page where I can because when you put up a picture or post an Instagram you might be in that moment you're able to share it but you don't have to respond to anyone in a given moment or time so you know people might comment back and you can look at that tomorrow or next week and I think that's a really nice part of being able to share my story and you know I've shared my story with Hollis Street on their social media pages and I felt quite privileged that I could talk about Josh because he absolutely deserves it and I think it'd be nice for Ollie and, and Finn to look back on it. Um, but also it's been really nice because so many mums have sent me messages to share stories about their little ones. And I feel really privileged that I am that person that they have told me about their child that they've lost. And that's really special. Um, and that's kind of a bond that not many people have. It's something I hear in the work that I do time and time again from from women that have had losses, whether it be in pregnancy or through baby loss, this deep, 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 deep need for the world to know that their baby existed, for them to be able to talk about their baby and a feeling of, you know, people being afraid to ask, people being afraid to bring it up, people being afraid to, to not want to upset them. Mm -hmm by bringing it up and you're right maybe it is an Irish thing you know maybe it is a you know not the equivalent of an I'm fine yeah you know, someone asks how are you no one is ever fine by the way there's there's always something going yeah. on yeah <laughs> um, it's it's something that I feel like whether you're in it or whether you're outside supporting it we have to learn a language we have to learn a way of safely feeling like you can ask a question you can mm. you can you know you can remember a birthday you can bring up the conversation because everything i'm hearing from women who have lost is they deeply want their baby to be remembered yeah that's it i remember um laura she's got a page on instagram social connect series and we just got chatting through dms and she shared a little bit herself and i shared about the twins and she just wrote back and said tell me about josh and honestly that was just like thank you for giving me this space you know because yes it hurts but there's nothing nicer than to be able to share that with somebody else because I think especially for people that have had and i think it is quite common in, in twin pregnancies to lose one um but ollie doesn't justify losing josh and that's been a real hard one for me i remember 
in the early scanning department and one week I went in and she said we'll scan you in two weeks and she said when you come back next time there may only be one and we call that vanishing twin syndrome oh. and I was like wow it, and it was just, it just rolled off her tongue and she was like and just go away and forget about it basically and I was like I just couldn't vanishing twin syndrome I don't know from the moment you get a positive pregnancy test and from the moment you find out you're having one two babies you imagine your life that and you know that so for anyone that loses a baby at any stage I mean the thing that I really struggled with was your babies aren't viable until 24 weeks and so if I had had them at 23 and 5 or I had they induced the labor because of infection and they didn't survive they would not have been recognized as two babies and I would have been expected to return to work like I just I couldn't comprehend that and I still you know I remember those that hitting that 23 weeks and just hoping every day to get to 24 weeks because that made them viable babies exist in some way yeah so for those people that you know lose or early miscarriage or whatever it is it's still that loss but then they don't have that same experience and that we did you know that's really difficult I think whenever stage you lose a baby it's just really really tough and those kind of responses that we get and we've shared some of them on every mom this week you know the the oh well at least it was early Mm. or at least you have another at least I'm sure you got that I'm I'm sure you heard that Mm, I did I really did and it was really hard Mm, yeah yeah that really really annoys me (laughs) um how did you respond I don't think I ever did because I think if I did respond I probably would have said something quite inappropriate um or appropriate I'd imagine um, I think very appropriate but I also think as well because of sometimes people's difficulty knowing what to say to me Mm. I almost justified it myself you know Oh my gosh, there's this, and I think that's it. We need to get comfortable with silence because silence is okay, you know? And it was just like, I would then try and break the silence with, you know, but, and this is what's happening with Ollie instead of just, just staying in that moment. And that was something in my, in my talking therapy, my counseling, she was like, try and stay in the moment instead of trying to shift to the I'm okay Sarah and I'm pretending like everything's going and she always tried to get me to stay with her in the moment it's still something I definitely struggle with because I would I would try and move it along um but yeah it's trying to just stay with that feeling and feel okay to be upset or be emotional um, and it's those conversations you know I made um a picture book of my pregnancy and the birth and all the pictures that we had of Josh and it was so lovely to be able to share that with people when they came over you know just and that was a lovely way to open up conversations and not make people feel uncomfortable just having a picture book that kind of tool you know people looked at the photos they commented on the photos and I remember feeling sometimes even nervous would did people want to see photos of Josh and you know, when I share pictures of photo, photos of Josh, now people always say like he's gorgeous. Or you know, I remember initially I didn't share photos of Josh, and um, people were, when I did, they were like, "Oh, we just expected that maybe he wasn't going to look like a baby." You know, where he he looked absolutely perfect. Um, 
so I think having that little photo book has been a lovely little a way for me to share him with other people. And as one special person that he should be sharing his whole life with, mm-hmm. how do you talk to Ollie about Josh? How will you? Yeah, so he's still quite young to understand. Um, and we have we've lots of different things in the house. We've got a gorgeous grief and loss book, which is personalised for Ollie and Josh. We have um, Josh's memory box from Phalacon. Um, We've got his gorgeous hand and footprint mold and his picture book. Um, So we do talk like he would know Josh in a picture, but he hasn't come to the realization Mm. yet or the understanding that they were twins. And it was interesting, like Finn found it hard to comprehend and thought that he was Ollie's twin. And there was all this kind of, weird stuff going on you know but we will always talk and celebrate him and you know on their birthdays um we get a a balloon um for josh um and interesting well not interesting ollie didn't want to let go of the balloon this year because he wanted to keep it so we got a star for josh and and that will always be something that we'll do to celebrate and remember him um, and it's a weird one because on Ollie's birthday, we're also mm. celebrating, well, sorry, celebrating and grieving. I don't even know. It's like, what do you call that? The day he was born, but the day he died. I don't know. But yeah, he'll just always be part of our family. And this week is a really important week for me and, and for our family. It's a really nice way because there are so many of these conversations happening and it's a really nice way for people to come together and talk and, you know, and celebrate too, you know, celebrate the life. And that's important for us. I think it's just about opening up and, and saying this, this is happen like this happens and to not like, we don't like talking about death. We don't like thinking about death. We don't like, like there's so much discomfort when it comes to, you know, the emotions we hold as mothers for our children and even the concept of anything possibly happening to them. But it happens. Mm. And it's so important not to like hide the families that it has happened to. Yeah. It's so important to, to, to all talk about our stories. I did a course and it was helping support children who have suffered loss and it was really interesting something that really struck me um, was you know when someone dies though you know funerals and the gatherings we mourn very publicly you know and everyone feels comfortable to talk and you know as soon as you see someone the natural reaction is to give them a hug and they'll cry but then something happens after that and it stops. And that's the thing that can be quite hard, I think. You know, it's it's all very public and everyone's talking about it and then people kind of move on. And it's that thing of, you know, my sister passed away when I was, oh gosh, can't remember what age now, but she was 36. And I remember at the time, I remember driving and I remember just thinking the world, everyone else's world was moving on except for mine. And I remember looking at people and they were laughing and thinking, can they you know so your life just stops and everyone else's moves on and I think that can be really difficult you're expected to kind of pick back up the pace again and get on with it um I suppose which was good for me was that 
I took a long time off work um, because Ollie was so premature and things like that. So I took over a year off and that was good. I didn't have to go back and talk to anybody and talk about what had happened because that was another thing you had to deal with was meeting people in the street when you had the babies and then peering into the buggy and saying, did you have the twins? Mm. And you're like, oh gosh. So for a while I used to try and hurry past people you know especially people that you wouldn't know that well like neighbors or people in the shop and it's just one of those things that you just try and rush by because you just weren't ready to have that conversation and tell them you only had one baby left you know yeah which is you know which is the other side of it you know you're here we are saying that it's so important to talk and to to ask mm-hmm. you know and and to sell continue celebrating and talking about these children but then on the other hand there's there's the exact scenario where you don't want people to talk to you I know <laughs> it's kind of conflicting isn't it <laughs> but that's, and that's okay we don't have to feel the same way every day yeah. and it's a process like, and I think as well if if we always go on the side of ask rather than not ask because if somebody's not comfortable like if someone asked me and it wasn't it was a difficult day or I wasn't able I would pretty quickly change the conversation rather than not ask at all and that was a hard thing some people just said nothing about it and that really that was so hard to get my head around it was like if they ask me it does that mean it hasn't happened or and I know it is, it is a difficult conversation to have, but it's just giving people space to talk if they want to. And if not, they'll move on or they might just <laughs> change the subject, you know? It's awful to think that people, I don't know, like can't acknowledge one of the deepest hurts that have ever happened to you, but mm. also one of the deepest loves because you love Josh. Mm. And that's why I feel so strongly about talking about it because I hope that it will help other people. And I know two people this week have messaged me to say, because of you, I've asked other people or it's changed my narrative or whatever that is. And I think if that can, and that's what we need to do. It's just to put the message out there that it's, it's okay to ask and please do. So that's what I hope by having these conversations it will do. It's about remembering. Mm. Those little babies were born. Mm. Those hearts did beat. Mm. And they are loved. Absolutely. And every milestone that Ollie make, meets or makes or has, I imagine, mm. Josh beside him. And it's the most random things when you see him bouncing up a park path and you think, would Josh be holding his hand? Would he be taller than him? Would he be smaller than him? You know, his first day of crash, those things you think he should be there, you know? So it's just, it's always there. It's never going to go away. It's an incredible bond. And as mothers, it's an incredible, endless, endless love. I'm really sorry that you lost Josh. Thank you. 
and I'm really sorry that any, any family has to experience loss. But I am very, very grateful to you and to parents like you who somehow move through grief into courage and who can talk so that those who can't yet talk can at least connect and feel like at some point they might be able to. And to, to, to teach those that haven't felt it how to support parents going through it. And I'm so, so grateful that this week is marked every single year and that candles are lit on the 15th of October every single year. We have to remember. Thank you for giving me the space to talk about Josh because it's, it's, um, it's lovely for me, but it's also so helpful as part of your grief to be able to share my story of him and you know how much we love him and how much we still love him and we'll always love him and how much he'll always be part of our family. Thank you for telling me about Josh. I'll be lighting a candle on Friday. And for all the other babies and as well as part of uh, the Baby Loss Awareness Week, lots of buildings will be lit in pink and blue, um, which is a lovely way, f- you know, for all those babies to remember too. And the significance of lighting the candle at seven for one hour, so that for 24 hours continuous, there is a wave of light for all the babies. Because they live forever. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Everyone, the podcast is kindly supported by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes. If you have been affected by the topics raised in this episode, please visit our show notes where you'll find a list of supports for every parent suffering a loss, including Phelacon, the Stillbirth and Neonatal Death Association of Ireland, who Water Wipes proudly support. If this episode has helped you, please let us know. Get in touch with every mum and our guest, Sarah, at speakeasyslt underscore ie and share with anyone who may need it. Talk to you again next week.